If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me, if you would, to the Psalms. If you don't have a Bible, uh, again, these are not chapters. These are Psalms written. They're like devotional dailies out of a diary of the kings and uh, others and so on. And this one happens to be the longest one. But this portion of it actually lays out, I believe, something very important for us to remember um, and this particular thought is, is involved in the first three verses, and we'll, we'll get there in just a moment. But why would I preach about something entitled it, Settled in Heaven? Because the word settled here in the first verse uh, is the word for established. And so when we're talking about uh, the Lord establishing something, He established His word in heaven. And so it wasn't something that just actually evolved. We think that perhaps, but this was all part of what God has given to us. I want you to look with me, if you would, at verse number 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. I want you to see something else. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations, and thou hast established the earth, and it, what? Abides. That word means it stands. It actually will stand the test of time. His word will. And so I am reminded of that need for me to be able to go to the word of God in our culture today because we are living in difficult times. We're living in times, what I believe is the end of times, the end of the days. The Bible speaks of it. We say, well, the apostles thought the same thing. I hear that all the time, but never has this much of the prophecy been fulfilled as it is today. And so when we're looking at the end days and the end times, we would have to go back to the Word of God and remember that there is going to be signs and God gave us those uh, in the scriptures, and he talked about it very carefully. Let me guide you through them before I get to the main part of the message. And so I want to go rather quickly through what I believe are several things actually concerning the end times. The first one is the Jews are going to return to Palestine. We saw that in 1948. There began to be a rush back to Israel. They began to build and be able to expand because of everybody running back to there. The Bible tells us that in Jeremiah, Old Testament prophet, says, Behold, I will gather them out of all the countries whither I have driven them in mine anger and my furry, uh, fury and, and, and great wrath, and I will bring them again into this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. And we know that in our lifetime, many of us in this room, we've been able to see that and hear that. It actually is happening. We believe also that at the end times, men are going to be running to and fro, and knowledge is going to increase according to the book of Daniel. Daniel 12, verse number 4 says, But thou, O Daniel, shut up thy words, shut up the words, and seal the book. Even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. The Bible says really clearly that there's going to be a constant running and to to fro. There's going to be vehicles, of course. You can see all of that happening. Airplanes. Some people can actually travel from here to the to the eastern part of Asia in just a matter of hours. You can be over there. We come back. Of course, we know that less than a hundred years ago, it took months, perhaps, to get to some of these places. But now we can go in a matter of hours. And so the Bible is actually true when it comes to men running to and fro. And then it says that knowledge is going to increase in the latter part of it, and knowledge shall be increased. We see that because if you don't know how to do something, you can just talk to Alexa. Is that what her name is? 
And Alexa can actually show you exactly what to do. If you want to look at YouTube, you can see how to change the brakes in a car or how to fix the tire or how to do the things that you need to do. Uh, you can actually YouTube it and your and information and knowledge is right at your fingertips. And so we see that that's happening in our culture today. It is actually part of prophecy in the book of Daniel. Also, there's going to be an incredible amount of unemployment. What I mean by that is there's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to work. They're going to actually get money from the government. It's going to actually come from every source of those that actually do a job, that work, pay their taxes, are going to pay for a lot of people that won't. About 50-50 in our culture today. 50 that don't work, take money from those that do work, and that's our part of our culture today. It's all part of the prophecy. Zechariah tells us that in chapter 8, verse number 10, for before these days there was no hire for man, nor any hire for beast, and neither was there any peace to him that went out or came in because of the affliction. For I have said all men, every one against his neighbor. And so there's going to be a lot of fighting and a lot of hurtful things that happen between those that we should love and care for. And it's part of the prophecy. We see that happening in our culture today. The Bible also says in the New Testament that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. We see that in Matthew 24, verse number 6. It says, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, and see that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And there's going to be nations against nations. The Bible uses that term. I believe it'll be nationality against nationality. Earthquakes that'll actually happen. The Bible says in Matthew 24, verse number 7, for nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. And of course, we understand that a pestilence is a fatal contagious disease. And that is what cancer is. Cancer is a fatal contagious disease, whether you think it is or not. And maybe not necessarily contagious, but it'll actually part of uh, the end times when you have this disease that cannot be cured. And there's going to be other diseases that are going to come on the scene. We know that because people are still wearing masks. They're, they're afraid of what might happen. But it says that there'll be na- nation against nation. That's nationality against nationality. And by the way, if you stick up for your own race, you're already lost. And so remember that Jesus Christ came for all nations and every tongue and every race. Jesus, the gospel came to all of us, and we should never even be thinking about our race. We should be thinking about the blood of the individual that you can actually get them born again so that they can go to heaven with you and enjoy heaven like Carrie West is enjoying this morning in an un unprecedented uh, gut punch again in our ministry where he actually went to be with the Lord this last Tuesday, uh, the 6th of, of June. But see, this is going to happen. The Bible also says there's going to be false preachers that are out there, Matthew 24, 11, and many false prophets shall rise and, and, and shall deceive many. We know this because the Bible tells us that this is going to happen. It'll be like the days of Noah, the Bible says, in Matthew 24, verse number 7 says, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And so it is actually the days of Noah. and days of Noah, everybody was, was pretty well drunk 24-7. They were pretty much doing their own thing in their imaginations 24-7. There was a lot of giving and marriages and a lot of sexual immorality. And there's a lot of things that are going on. We see that in our culture today that the days are just like the days of Noah. And let me share this with you as long as I'm talking about it. I believe that the transgender issue is Luciferian. It is not of God. And they will twist around and say, oh, you're not compassionate. Don't be so foolish to be sucked into their understanding of compassion. Because the truth is, if you really love someone, you'll tell them the truth. In the the face of our culture today, and by the way, I don't think it's going to get any better. 
Because the Bible tells us that it's going to continue to wax worse and worse. The Bible talks about people eating and, and drinking in the end days. And I, I went out to eat this last week for my birthday. I was Thursday night. I was able to go and sit down with a meal with my wife. And I couldn't help but notice this fellow that was intoxicated on the outside. Of course, when he got inside, he was even more uh, abrupt and more arrogant and so on. And I'm just saying, I hope he stays away from me because I, I, I just have a hard time with drunk people. Because um, they don't think right. And you, no matter what you say, they twist it around on you. And so he stayed over there pretty much. He did glance over at me a couple times. And I was just saying, just stay seated, sir. I want to enjoy my meal. And you know what I'm saying. And so anyway, he, he actually was showing how foolish he was and how childish. You see, because wine is a mocker. Yes, yes. Strong drink is raging. Yes. And he that is deceived thereof is not wise. And if so, he's not wise. What is he? The Bible actually declares this, and it helps us understand that the foolish will turn to alcohol. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delays his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servant, and to eat and to drink with the drunken, it actually is evidence that we're living in the last days. The gospel preaching uh, is going to be preached to the world, and we know that because there's been an increase in the area of giving to missions. It's easier to be able to get to the mission field today. If somebody walks in this church looking for us to be able to support them, I try all I can do to fuel your understanding of world missions so that we can actually give. We have grace giving here. It's extra over and above your tithes. It's offerings for those that are in the mission field. And you talk to the deacons and talk to the other pastors and see what the giving is in this church toward missions. It ought to be. And it is because I believe we're living in the last days and the gospel must get to every single nation. The Bible says that in Mark chapter 13, verse number 10. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. There's also going to be this promise of peace that's going to come from those that are in leadership and not those that are part of the pastors. And maybe the pastors are in error of this, but I know that those that are, that are in the White House may walk around like everything's fine and dancing like we're on the Titanic and it's sinking and they think that everything's Funny, even when the president falls over, they think it's funny. This is not a game, dear people, because I have children. I have, I have grandchildren, and I want to be able to have a place for them to live at peace. Real peace, not the peace that they're actually saying is happening. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 1, verse till verse number 3, it says, But the times of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Also, there'll be a falling away from the faith. The Bible says that in 1 Timothy. It also gives us the understanding in 2 Thessalonians. But 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of the devils or demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. The Bible's actually giving us an understanding of what it's going to be like in the last days. They will not endure sound doctrine. First Timothy chapter 4, verse number 2 says, speaking lies and hypocrisy and having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. The Bible's actually telling us in 1 Timothy that it's okay to eat meat. You, you ever talk to someone that's vegan, perhaps? They actually don't eat meat, and they look like you, like you're, you're cursed because you do eat meat. 
It's amazing that they want you to come along with them in some of these strange thinkings. Now, I like animals, don't you? I do. I like them when they're medium rare. I like it when it's served a little gravy. You know what I'm talking about? I mentioned this to a little girl yesterday, Friday at 9. She was screaming because I actually was talking about rabbit stew, and she likes little rabbits and so on. And so I had to calm her down, and she gave me a hug, tell me she was sorry later on. But it's just the way I am. I'm a little redneck preacher that loves to be able to get out in the woods and hunt and trap and do all of these things. But I don't put them above God. I don't love the creature more than the Creator. I love the Creator, and I'll do everything for Him. He has actually made all of these things for us. The perilous times will come. The Bible tells us that. First, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1 says, This now also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Unraveling times shall come. I've never seen this much spiritual warfare. You say, well, I don't see much of it. Get busy for God and you will. You'll see an incredible amount of force trying to push against you, try to depress you and discourage you and to keep you from doing something that God desires for us to do. And I know he wants us to continue because he told us to occupy till he comes. He told us he would actually be with us until the end of the world. He told Isaiah to go until the cities be desolate. Continue to preach the word of God and uphold the word of God. Perilous times are going to come. There's going to be people that, children that will be disobedient to parents, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. I was talking to my dad this last week, and he was saying, Dean, can you look up and see on your little phone thing about Fenimore, Wisconsin, whether they really had Parker Penn was there? I'm thinking, Parker Penn? Weren't they in Janesville? Yeah, I thought that's where it was. But you know what? I started to look at this. That was a genius of a person, Mr. Parker. He went to Milton. He went to other cities and places, Marshfield, and ended up in Finnemore as being able to assemble pens and so on. And he says, my, my grandma, his, my dad's grandma, my dad's 85. So think about his grandma worked for Parker Penn in Fenimore, Wisconsin. He said, and the greatest Christmas I ever had was when my mom worked for Parker Penn. My dad was never around, he said. He was an alcoholic. My mom was there, and my grandma was there. And he said, the greatest Christmas I ever had, we had a little small toy in our, our stocking, and we got a shirt with our name on it. Wow. You know how thankful he was and how gracious he would talk about that particular time? America, we are spoiled, rotten. You ever use that term for some little child who's crying in a store for no reason? You say, oh, we'll spoil little brat. Look in the mirror. Folks, we are spoiled. We have so much. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to open your eyes to something that will help you understand that we are living in the last days. It, it says also that evil men will wax worse. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And you don't know whether the person texting you is the right person or not. They're asking for your number. Someone used my credit card, and they were actually to get $249 worth of things. I hope they enjoyed themselves. Some of the things were purchased in Florida, and some of them were purchased in California. They, they actually were purchasing things with my credit card, and so went to the bank, sat down with them, and I says, what do I do? And they said, we well, need to call the company. I said, call the company. They say, sir, I can't even understand the person. saying, oh. I said, we need, we need your, your, your account number. We need your credit card number. I was like, 
I'm going to give that to somebody over the phone? Did you know that there are people that sit at home all day long, 24-7, and try to steal your money? Can you believe that? Instead of going out and working, they're going to sit home, and they go to bed at night and drool on their pillow, but they're going to wake up in hell unless they repent and start to work for their money and be able to turn to Christ, and so evil men will wax worse and worse. And what a bunch of deceivers that we have in the White House, my goodness. bunch of reprobates that are actually against us saying that we ought to preserve life. We ought to make sure that we close up things and so we don't become so crazy as a country. We have all kinds of floodgates of all kinds of different gods coming in here. There is one God, and his name is Jehovah, and there is Jesus Christ, and he is the only way of salvation. And when America begins to say, okay, it doesn't matter anymore, whatever, we are done, people. And all the things that we've worked for are gone. And we see it crumbling now. And some people are really, really worried. And I don't think we should be because this world is not our home. We're just passing through. But why is all of this? Because people have lovers of pleasures. They're traitors. They're heady. They're high-minded. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. I met with a man just yesterday, last couple of days. Friday I met him. was able to get Brian Willison involved, our, our snowblower we've had here for thir- 25 years, that snowblower. A snowblower is leaking some chemicals out of it. We're just not sure what that is coming out of it. doesn't work right. It blows one side. The other side doesn't. For 25 years, we've been blowing snow with that thing. And now I thought it was time for us to get a new one. So we went to a garage sale, and this one fellow had one. I looked it up, and it was $15.99, brand new. And he had, a, had on it for $600. We were able to buy it for the church. It's like brand new. They took really good care of it. He was a good steward of it. I was able to get it. Went to him, talked to him. He's a Catholic man. But you know what I talked about? Relationship with Jesus Christ. So I don't care what kind of church you go to, but I do care whether or not you have a relationship with God. And the only way you can get to heaven is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus was conveying this to the culture at that time. And he is so pleased that we're continuing to express the understanding that if you have the Father and the Son, you have everything and you have eternal life. And if you, if you take Jesus out of the picture, you have nothing. There's no salvation. And Mary cannot save you. Only Jesus Christ can. We understand this, that there's going to be the heaping up of treasures. The Bible says it in James 5, 3, verse number 6. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire, and you, you have heaped treasures together for the last days. And all the things that we work for, for our retirement, and all the wonderful cars that we have, it's all going to be ruined without the God of heaven, knowing that we can actually come to him. And we can actually have treasures that are in heaven. Oh, set your affections on things above. Where Christ sits on the right hand of God. And remember this, that by setting your affections on things above, then you'll be able to set your affections on things here in the right manner because you have your priorities straight. And there's going to be scoffers in the last day. Second Peter chapter 3, verse number 3 says, knowing this first. That there shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And the Bible gives us an understanding that he will not destroy with the flood again. He is going to destroy by fire. 
this particular earth and it will all melt away. And so this gets our attention, but there's also going to be in the last days men's walking after their own lust. Like Jude, verse number 16 says that these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts. And their mouths speaking great swelling things, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. In other words, you're going to be bragging about who you know rather than knowing the God of heaven. You're going to be bragging about position in Hollywood or perhaps you got close to some movie star. So what? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? That's the thing we need to be focusing on. But this will happen in the last days. Swelling words, men having persons in admiration because of advantage. But beloved, remember you the words which were spoken before the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ and how that they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who shall walk after their own ungodly lusts. I think it's important for us to focus then on the text. I said all of that to say this, friends, that when I get discouraged, I look at the word of God. And I get to look at the word of God because then I get to know who he is and what he is like. If I want to shift my focus off of the temporal, the temporal emotions, the temporal hurts, the temporal pains, all of these things I have, if I want to change that, I just begin to read the word of God as the precious words from our God in heaven. I heard a story years ago, it was 1898, and Ben had left uh, the east eight years ago to head out to the west in hopes of making his fortune. Well, he wasn't rich, but he had accumulated over 300 acres of good land. He built a comfortable farmhouse on it. He raised wheat and corn and all of his vegetables. And he managed to build his herd of cattle to about 200 head. Having accomplished all of this in only eight years, he decided that it was now time for him to place an ad in the newspaper. Wanted a good woman, willing to be a pen pal. Marriage is a possibility for the right woman. Before long, he began receiving letters from a woman named Molly. Their correspondence soon into, ended up into turning into love for each other, and now he stood in Kansas City train station waiting finally to meet her. When the train arrived, there was a lot of women getting off, and suddenly he yelled, Molly, over here! She looked his way and walked over to him and smiled and held out his hand. He took it for a moment. They let it go, and she said, How did you know who I was? Then he reached into his coveralls and he found the letters. And he began to look at them. And then he, he dropped his head a bit and he said, Yes, these are why I know who you are. There are lots of pictures in your words. You see, he had spent hours reading every single word, looking over every little clue of what would tell him who Molly was. And he had fallen in love with her words. And he had painted a portrait of who she was. God's precious word will paint you a picture of your Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom you should love first and foremost. And he should be his in your priorities. You should say, my relationship with my God is absolutely essential. I can't live without it because you love him. And so we look at the text. I look at the text and I know that I have to close here in a minute. I have no water because I'm completely dry. But it's 11.16, and I'll finish by 11.30. But I want you to know this, that there are three things in the text that I want to bring out that will help you be able to turn your attitude around when you see all the bad things in this world. 
Because there are a lot of people sitting in this room thinking, am I going to reach my next birthday? That couple that got married on Friday, they probably thought Thursday night, I wonder if the Lord Jesus will come tonight. I hope he kind of tarries a little bit so I can get married tomorrow. I used to think that way a little bit when I was younger. I used to think, man, deer hunting's coming this Saturday. I don't know, Lord, could you wait till Sunday to come? You know, but we don't know when he's going to come. But something turns my heart around and my mind around when I begin to read the word of God. This passage did that. It helped me understand, first of all, I want you to look at the text again and remember, first, the duration of God's word. And the duration of his word, look what it says. It says in just the first three verses, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth and, and it and it abides or it stands. What that's basically saying that he is the creator of all life and he is the sustainer of all life. And that's primary, but that is essential. And if you know that this is true, you've got one up on most of those that are in the White House today. Because this actually tells us that God created all things and he is the sustainer of all things. And everything stands and remains because of the God of heaven. They continue this day according to thine ordinances for all thy servants. What a beautiful understanding. Isaiah 40, verse number 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Luke 16, 17 says, And it is easier from heaven and earth to pass than to one tittle of the law to fail. Psalm 102, verse number 26 says, And they shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, a vesture shalt thou change them, and, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and the years thy years have no end. Speaking of the word of God, the Bible says in Isaiah 51, verse number 6, lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look upon the earth beneath, for the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment, and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner, but my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness Righteousness shall not be abolished. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 25, But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. In Jeremiah 23, verse number 9, says, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces? And let me just say this. There are people that are going to try to attack this word. I love my Bible, my King James authorized version of the Bible. You can make fun of me all you want to. You can mock me all you want to. But this is the word of God. And it will prevail and it will last and it will continue on. It's like the anvil, if you would, against all hammers. Bring up your little pieces of hammers and try to hit the anvil a little bit. I remember reading this years ago that last eve I passed before the blacksmith's door and I heard an anvil ring, the vesper chime. I looked in, I saw old hammers on the floor worn and beating years of time. And how many anvils have you had? He said, I've had just one to wear all the battered hammers so. Just one, he said. Then, then uh, said he, with a twinkle in his eye, and the anvil wears the hammer out, you know. And so I thought, the anvil is the word of God, or God's word. And for ages, skeptics blow and beat upon it. And yet, though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unarmed, and the hammer goes and is gone, and is like these... The Bible actually is the anvil, and people try to beat it. They use other texts. They use all other things, all other ways to say that this Bible is not true. The Bible stands. Amen. 
and it will sit, it will stand. So be it. And so really, this is an understanding of the duration of the word of God. 90, verse number 89 through 91. But there's the donation of the word of God. What's the donation? Look what it says in the next few verses, 92 to 93. Unless thy law had been thy delights, I should have perished in mine afflictions. And I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. I love that, where it talks about how that the word of God is powerful enough to quicken you. Oh, listen to me. Dear Christian, are you weak? Are you bulimic? It is because day after day your Bible sits on the shelf and you don't read it. You consume Fox News and you consume all kinds of different coffees, but you don't look at the Word of God and consume the Word of God. Oh, we need the Bible to be absorbed into us. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, verse number 11, So shall my word be that goeth out from my mouth, and it shall not return unto unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper. In the thing we're into, I sent it. I was thinking about how in order to uncover the processes that destroy unions and marital problems, researchers got together and they wrote a little book. Two guys, they were psychologists, Cliff Nordius and Howard Markman, and they, they actually wrote these books to be able to help people understand that the problem with marriages today and the difficulty was because many of the words that were coming out of the mouth of the spouse was never uplifting. It was always down, cutting. It was always reducing that ability. If a, if a spouse saw pride in their spouse, they would actually cut them down and make them feel bad. For some reason, it was the words that actually would build them up. And the most successful marriages were the marriages that actually were spouses were talking to one another kindly and not degrading. They were saying kind words and encouraging words and constantly remembering one another. I thought about how God's word is the same way. And we ought to be speaking it to one another. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 23, being born again. Not of the corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The Bible tells us that the word of God gives us life. It gives life to the unbeliever, and it gives eternal life to the unbeliever, but it gives a quickening to the believer. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse number 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John chapter 3, verse number 5, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water, that's the earth birth, and of the spirit, spiritually. It doesn't say go to catechism. It doesn't say to go ahead and be baptized as a baby. It says that you need to be converted, born again, new in your spirit, and Jesus wants to give you that spirit today. You can be quickened, and God will give you the strength that you need to continue on. He gives us eternal life. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And religion will change this all around. But the Spirit here is a capital S. It's talking about the spiritual birth. It's the same Spirit that Jesus was talking about to the woman that said, Didn't our fathers worship here? And he said, Yes, but I'm changing things. We now must worship God in spirit and in truth. Not through some ceremonial ways with a man with long robes. That is actually, I believe, heresy. It'll hurt your soul. And then there is God's word brings light. The Bible says it in Psalm 19, verse number 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light 
unto my path. For the commandment is a lamp, the Bible says in Proverbs 6.23. And the law is light. And the reproofs of instructions are the way of life. The word of God also brings comfort to me. It's the words, actually, that bring the comfort. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse number 50, it says, This is my comfort in my infliction, for thy word hath quickened me. The Bible says in Romans 15, verse number 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. It is the Word of God that makes us comfortable. It's the Word of God that gives us that hope, that perseverance, that patience to be able to say, Jesus Christ is my pleasant, is my blessed hope, not this old world. 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 3 says, But he that prophesied speaks unto men of education and exhortation and comfort. It shows us the reason for and the real results of affliction. And without being afflicted, you would have gone astray. And so God allows things to come into your life, even if it is a vehicle that constantly gives you trouble. I believe God uses that to bring you back so you'll say, Lord, help me with this. Or perhaps your garden is starting to fail or your grass is beginning to wither because there's no rain. It brings us back to the house of God to say, if we don't have rain come, it's going to ruin the crops. But unless we have the righteous rain come, we are lost. Without God's Holy Spirit working in our midst and in our hearts, we are lost. It gives us power. The Bible says, that the word of God produces power. Psalm 29, verse number 24, it says, The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Hebrews 4, 12, we know it, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit into the joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It is the word of God that gives you the ability to continue on. I heard about a missionary one time named Herbert, Herbert Jackson. And Herbert Jackson went to school for two years. He was in school and he got an old beat-up car as he went and he thought, man, how am I going to get around with this car? doesn't start. Nothing works, but if he actually would push it, it would jumpstart it, yeah, with a clutch, you know. Put it in second gear instead of first because second gear works better. And sometimes he'd actually turn the wheels on a hill a certain way, so it hit, then as soon as he turned the other way, he'd bail it back up, put it in reverse, and take off because it would start the engine on it. Two years of school. He got all done, and Dr. Jackson now said, it's time for me to hand this off to the next student. So here's the keys, buddy. Never get it to start. Had a problem with it all these years, but you can go ahead and have it. I'm moving on. Young man got in the car and thought, maybe I should look underneath the hood. And so he clicked the hood and looked underneath and said, well, here's your problem, Dr. Jackson. The battery cable was loose the whole time. Does this mean I can go another hour? I got diabetes, and so I have to take medication. And taking medication, it dries me right up, man. I am just so thirsty all the time. Anybody like that? You're thirsty all the time? You must be over 60. You just told me how old you are. But Dr. Jackson, for all of those years, was trying to do something. And he used his own power to do it. Instead of using God's power. 
Many of us go through life doing things in the flesh. I was coming to church the other day and I said, Lord, 25 years I've been doing this. I've been thinking about some things lately and wondering about certain things that have happened through the years. And I bet you there's been stuff that I've done in the flesh. Only those things that are done in the spirit are going to last. And I was saying, Lord, would you please help me? Give me your power again. I'd be a good steward with it. I need your power to get up. I need your power to get up. Listen, you need the same power. You got up this morning, you put both feet on the ground, you sat there for a few minutes, didn't you? You sat there thinking, man, how can I face the day? Well, with Jesus, you can do anything. Get that right first with him. Maybe you've never, ever trusted him as Savior completely. Maybe you've been trying other things. Jesus will give you the power. If we read it, if we claim the promises, if we're grateful for it, but most of all, if we practice. And I must say this as the third thing is that I would say that there is the dependability upon the word of God. I am thine. Save me, for I sought thy precepts. Look at verse 95. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. Can I share with you that no one should ever Esteem this world's changes over the word of God. In other words, what I'm trying to say is we should never compromise the word of God just to fit this culture. Because this culture is decaying. Don't sink with this Titanic. Come to Christ. There was a man named John Harper that just happened to be on the Titanic. And it was going down. People were dancing and singing. And he gave his family the lifeboat. He jumped into the water. And they thought he would just die, you know. John Harper didn't just die. He found a little piece of board to float on for a while. And the current would take him out a little ways. And then he'd come back in. People could hear him speaking. As they were on the ship and as they were on the lifeboats, they could hear him speaking and saying, Come to Jesus. This is your last hope. Turn your hearts to Christ. John Harper's beautiful story. And then one time, the current took him out. He never came back. But they were having a prayer meeting a couple years later, and a person stood up and said, I remember hearing that voice, and I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And I'm alive today and I'm going to heaven because of that one man at those final moments said, come to Jesus. I'm not telling you to come to the Baptist church today. Absolutely not. I'm not telling you to come to the Catholic church today or the Lutheran church. I'm telling you, come to Jesus Christ, your friend, the Messiah. And he will save you. Personally walk with him. He's been dealing with you since you were born, even before you were born. He knew who you were. And today is the day that you need to say yes to him. It's so simple. Every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. Let's have an invitation. But dear friend, if you just please stand to your feet, no one looking around with your head bowed and your eyes closed. I'm going to pray in a moment. But if God has spoken to your heart, you believe you need to come for any reason, 
Why don't you come? Perhaps you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never heard the message that way before. You see, it's not about being religious. It's about having a relationship with God. And he's been called, his spirit's saying, come unto me. You just need to come. And if you're a lady and you come forward, I'll have a lady show you how you can actually, from the word of God, how you can go to heaven. And if you're a man, you come forward, I'll have a man show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that you're saved. But also this, dear Christian, maybe it's to come for membership. Maybe it's come to bap- for baptism. Maybe it's just come to kneel down. Do business with God. It is the eternal work. Get our eyes off of the culture for a moment today. And let us get it on heaven. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in Jesus' name. Amen.